0: It's exciting we're uh we're going through revelation and there's just so many good things to say about revelation you 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 may you may think you may think that revelation is pie in the sky and that it's just this distant book that has no current relevancy that it has no impact on your life today i i want to tell you i want to i want to tell you that revelation is, is very, very critical. It's a, it's an, it's an amazing book. It's a critical book. I think it's a book that, um, I think that it's a book that should be, can be, was designed to be life-changing. Amen. Mm-hmm. Revelation was designed to be life-changing. And there's just so many good things about the book. Uh, that I think has immediate impact on our lives. That's relevant today, right now. It's not just some distant futuristic book. It's not some old historical book. It's not some book full of symbols and, and this and that it's a, it's a real book with real life application in the real world right now. Amen. 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 So I want to just talk about just revelation today, chapter one. And I'm going to use verse 19 of chapter one in Revelation to use it as kind of a general outline for this entire series, because I'm going to be incorporating Daniel, especially the last six chapters of Daniel. I'm going to be incorporating some parts of Ezekiel, some parts of Zechariah, some parts of Matthew, Thessalonians and Corinthians, first Corinthians into these sermons and throughout this series. So it won't be exclusively Revelation but it'll be based on revelation and that will be our core. And we'll be using that kind of as our, 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 guideline for learning about the revelation of Jesus Christ and end times verse 19, the King James version says, write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are, and the things which shall be. That's our outline. Those are our marching orders. We're, we're following John's pattern of writing about history, about present and about future. And that's what's in the book of Revelation. Those 22 chapters encompass past. That is chapter one is about the past. That means prior to AD one, prior to the first century, the present, which includes the first century with, with relevance and with significance to our current 21st century and then chapters four through 22 are chapters that are all events that are forthcoming future events. Once you get past chapter three, it's future events, events that heretofore have not occurred. Let me give you some more fact and fiction. I started this little thing last week on revelation, some fact and fiction ideas that you need to be aware of that I talked about a little bit last week, I got a few more to add to my list. Number one, Revelation is not a conflicting or disorganized book. Matter of fact, it's very direct and it should be understood and interpreted literally unless it clearly states otherwise. The book is orderly, it's uplifting and it's understandable by normal Christians. You don't need a a degree in, in theology. You don't need to be a graduate of a seminary or a Bible college. You don't need to be a, a, a Bible quote unquote scholar. Not that I believe that there are any, but it was written for everyday people that were essentially peasants, farmers, craftsmen, people that made a living with their hands. You you think these people, these churches were scholars as we understand the word that these were theologians. That these were seminary students. No, the Lord gave this letter to John to send to those seven churches in Asia minor, which is basically greater Turkey right now, right there at the line. Asia minor is where Europe and Asia, Europe and Asia connects. It's it's right in that general area. Uh, probably our admiral, our, our local, uh, expert on, on worldwide events has probably been in that part of the world. I haven't been there. I would love to see the Holy Land. I don't know if I want to go anywhere now during this pandemic, but I would love to have visited some of these churches. I would love to see the the ruins of Ephesus or Philadelphia or Laodicea or Sardis or Smyrna or Thyatira. It would be great to see some of these areas that we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. But since I haven't, I have to rely on Wikipedia and the Internet and and pictures and Google Maps to kind of get an idea of where these cities existed approximately 2,100 years ago. But what you need to know is that the message is relevant. it's current. It matters. It speaks to us today. Amen? The second thing I wrote in my factor fiction is that that revelation is the only New Testament prophetic book. Think about that. 27 books in the New Testament. Only one of them talks about prophecy. In the Old Testament, there are 39 books, and at least 17 of them are designated as prophetic books. Twelve so-called major prophets, five so-called minor prophets. We're studying one now on Wednesday night, Habakkuk to be specific. So these were prophets. These were prophetic books. Well, we only have one in the New Testament, and essentially it covers everything past, present, and future. It's encompassing of all that was written before it. Uh, the third factor, fiction item that I think you'll find interesting about revelation is that even though Jesus has been revealed in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even to some extent acts and some of the epistles illuminate the life of Jesus, only the book of revelation truly reveals the full picture of who Jesus is. In the gospels, we sort of get Jesus as the suffering servant, as the sacrificial lamb, as the son of man, we get more of his human aspect as well as glimpses of his divine attributes. But in revelation, we see him revealed in all of his glory. We see him in all of his majesty, his sovereignty, his power, his might. We don't see the sacrificial lamb here. We don't see the suffering servant in Revelation. We see the Lord exalted high and mighty in his Lordship, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He refers to himself multiple times as the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. We see the complete picture, the complete revelation of Jesus Christ is what revelation is about. And that's why the book is so vital because now we know the rest of the story. Now we know what happened after the resurrection and the ascension. Now we know what happens after the rapture, what happens after the second coming, what happens in between it's the complete revelation, the revealing, the exposing the unveiling as it were of Jesus Christ. That's why the book is so critical. 22 chapters and we need to know them and they are knowable. They are as knowable as Luke or John. And by the way, you can find what I just said in, in Revelation chapter 20, verses seven through 10, because that's where he is revealed as a great high priest and he subjects all of his enemies under his feet and he destroys them eternally. And, and one last thing that I think is important regarding revelation fact or fiction, and that is that scripture has to be interpreted properly it has to be interpreted in light of other scriptures there's a saying that when you take a text out of context you end up with a pretext that is you end up with something that's inaccurate that's wrong and it's usually not what the author intended so that's why it's so important that we understand how to approach Revelation? Quite frankly, how to approach any Scripture? Matter of fact, there's three words that I thought would be critical, or at least important, for you to know. You don't need to be a theologian or a seminary student to know these words, because you probably have heard these words before. Like one is the word "canon," because what John wrote was canon, and was received by all of the churches, not just the seven churches listed in Revelations chapter two and three, but all of the churches in the area, in, in this greater Mideast area, in this greater Asia minor area that were believers and there were churches everywhere, house churches all over the area, maybe thousands, if not tens of thousands of believers already. And it hasn't even been 50 years, uh, or, or it has been about maybe 70 years since Jesus resurrection. And, and now you have this global ministry going on and John is writing uh, to these churches in what is referred to as a circular letter. That is that the letter perhaps went to Ephesus first and then it was read and passed around. It might've been copied. I don't know, but my guess is, is that it was just passed around. One church would read it and share it and then they would pass it on to another church and it kind of went in a circular motion. If you look at revelation two and three, the churches go in sort of a chronological fashion. It's not helter skelter. They make sort of a circle. And so John was given this letter and it was considered canon. That means it came from God. Canon means it's genuine. It's authentic. It's what the author intended. So first of all, revelation is canon. Second of all, there's this thing. There's this word. Don't worry about how it sounds. I know it's weird. It's called hermeneutics. But hermeneutics is the science or the study of interpretation. Hermeneutics provides laws and rules about how to interpret scripture in this case how to interpret it, understand it properly. Just like I play piano, there's rules in music that govern how music is played so that it's understandable. Music has what's called tempo or meter so that there's sort of a cadence and there's timing and there's rhythm to what we play, what we do so that it makes sense. It has rules when you're in a first certain key signature if you're playing in the key of A flat, there are rules in A flat of certain notes that you can hit and certain notes that are considered you know, incorrect when you play an A flat and it sounds off. Well, just like music has rules to give it definition, to give it format, to give it meaning, to give it flavor, to make it make sense and sound presentable and soothing to our ears. The word of God has rules too and are called hermeneutics and they're how you interpret scripture. And actually there's scripture to support that. There's this great scripture that I love over in Nehemiah chapter eight, well, actually, you know what? I'm gonna say that one for a minute. Let me give you the, the rules. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 10 says he tells us everything over and over, one line at a time, one line at a time. The uh King James Version says uh he tells us these things over and over, pretext upon pretext, pretext upon pretext, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And so you know, we we get this not pretext, but we get this text here. We we get the understanding in Isaiah twenty eight ten that you need to interpret the Bible in light of the Bible. John 5 39 says, You search the scriptures because you think you 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 will they will give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. The scriptures point to Jesus. The scriptures are about Jesus, about revealing Jesus to us. So I said there's three words. So I find for you canon authenticity genuine from the author what the author intended hermeneutics i know it's kind of a nerdy geeky word but it just simply means the laws or rules that govern how scripture is to be interpreted it should be interpreted in light of scripture scripture is the best commentary on scripture then there's this other word exegesis or the verb form of it is to exegete and exegesis just simply means explanation explain it make sense of it, make it plain, make it clear. I like to use the word deconstruct unpack. It's just making the word understandable to the listeners. So you need those three things to understand scripture. And matter of fact, the word exegesis and hermeneutics and Canon, though they're not specifically in scripture, exegesis is explained in scripture beautifully over in Nehemiah. And I referred to this earlier, Nehemiah chapter eight, verse eight. I believe it is Nehemiah eight, eight. It says, they read, they being Ezra, Nehemiah, and the other elders, they read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people to understand each passage. So that's what exegesis means. Weird word, simple meaning, explain the word so that it's clear. And it's, we gave an excellent example of the definition of that word in Nehemiah excuse me, chapter eight, verse eight, where Ezra, Ezra read from the Bible and he clearly explained, he exegeted, he exposiated, he broke down, he unpacked what the word meant to help the people understand each passage. Amen. So, so this, this idea of prophecy, you can't go out on your own and just invent your own view of the book of Revelation. You can't come up with some personal view that you've constructed by conferring with extra biblical text or coming up with some weird idea or getting we can't make this up. We can't have our own view. There can't be 25 different versions of the book of Revelation. The book is canon. The book can be understood hermeneutically by using the principles for understanding scripture that are in the Bible that's in scripture. And then we exegete, or we explain that to give the sense of it. The King James version says in Nehemiah eight of what the word means. And so Peter really crystallizes all of what I said and just one killer verse that tells us exactly how scripture is to be understood in second Peter one I'm going to even throw in verse 21 because I love it. The KJV says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. By the word, the Greek word for private there refers to personal. In other words, I can't just come up with an interpretation on Revelation or any other book in the Bible and just say this is canon. This is authentic. This is genuine. I don't have that right. I don't have the standing nor does any other person have the ability to usurp authority and take ownership of passages. Peter makes it clear in Peter 2 Peter 1 20, no, no prophecy. Of scripture revelation or any other prophetic book is of any private interpretation, private being personal. It says in verse 21 of 2nd, Peter chapter one, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Listen, I hear a lot of dudes on the radio and different books I read and so forth talk about, well, this wasn't really appalling writing style or this didn't reflect Paul's writing prose or his his particular literary format or form or Peter didn't write this way or Mark used these words or John, used. You, you know, I'm thinking like dude, all this sweat and blood over what this is the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit inspired the word. I don't care if Habakkuk wrote it or if Moses wrote it or if Peter wrote it or if John wrote it, they were all writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God wrote it. It's no, it's no writing style per se. I know I get it. People like to get into the literary context and try to break things down and dissect this and get into the grammar. You know what? Spend more time with application rather than dissection spend more time with how can i make god's word work for me How can I apply this to my daily life? How does this work in 2022? How does this work when I'm in school every day and there's bullies in class? How does this work when I'm on my job and I'm getting passed over for raises and promotions when I'm doing a great job and I'm the better person? How does this work when I can't find a job and everybody's getting hired but me? How does this work when I'm having problems with my family, with my marriage, with my kids, with my neighbors, with my friends, my family? How does this work for me today, forget about who wrote it, how it was written, what category is in, what the grammar and syntax is. I don't need all of that. I need to know how to make it from day to day. I need to know how to get over hump Wednesday. I need to know how to make it through the weekend, how to make it through the week. I'm not angry. I'm not better. please. If, I, if I'm coming off as being upset, I'm not. <laughs> I'm just really trying to make this as I'm trying to make it as available as usable to you as possible. I want revelation to just I wanted to just knock your socks off with excitement and encouragement and enthusiasm. I want you not just to be instructed by my words, by God's words through me. I want you to be inspired. I want this book to become part of your daily routine. I'm going to send you a beer Berean and it'll be full of things that you need to look at in revelation that I think will be helpful. I, 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 I just love the advice that Paul gave to Timothy in second Timothy Regarding the word, he said in 2 Timothy 3, he said, but you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know that they are true for, you know, you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures, Timothy, from your childhood, and they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful thing? i love that he said all scripture timothy all of you bbc all of our family how many people are online right now let's see i I can't see my numbers but 42 42 connections all of you 42 households or 42 connections all scripture is inspired by god not paul not john not peter not timothy not abaca not zephaniah not moses by god all scripture is inspired by God, according to 2 Timothy three sixteen, and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to every good work. That's why we study the word of God so that we can be better at doing this thing called life. So that we can be better at doing this thing called being a believer, being a Christian, that we can be better, that we can do it right, that we can be like Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Earlier in Second Timothy, it says that Timothy was trained and taught by uh, by his, his 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 Nana, his grandmother, Lois. I have a sister named Lois, and he was also taught by his mother his mama, Eunice. So Lois and Eunice were heavy, heavy influences on Timothy's life. And Paul called us out, called them out and commended them over in the first chapter of second Timothy and say, you were trained, you were brought up. You were taught the word early, hard and heavy by your, your grandmother, your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. So I I, I thought that was worth mentioning because mothers and grandmothers There's a shout out there for you. And I would also add fathers and grandfathers, you have the ability to influence your children, especially you mothers. They're looking to you, start teaching you young mothers, teach your kids the word right away, expose them to the Bible, expose them to simple lessons of truth, get them acclimated and whet their appetite for wanting to know the word, wanting to grow in the word, wanting to be become a, a child of the King and wanting to live the word, give them that, that message now so that they grow up with it. It becomes a part of their personal DNA. Amen, Amen. Yes, yes, yes. you grandmothers and mothers out there, you have a great responsibility. To train your children up in the way in which they should go. And the bible promises that when they're older that they will not depart from it they may bend but they will not break they may drift off the beaten path but they will be brought back according to the word of the lord if you instill it in them you train them you get it in them god will do the rest amen amen y'all still with me no one sleep yet if if You know, tell your neighbor, Hey, wake up. He's not, he's almost done. Hang in there with him. (laughs) God is so good. I pray that the word is good to you and that you're growing and that you're learning and that you're, that you're getting more and more of what God wants you to have. There's a couple other things I just want to share and I'll let you go In, in revelation. I I just want to read a few verses and, um, explain it. And then I'll give you our, our Monday morning moment and, um, we'll, we'll be done. Revelation one, one says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants, things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John goes on to say who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and all the things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they, that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things, which are written therein for the time is at hand. You know what? I, I just thought it was interesting that there's two words that jumped out to me that have significance relative to time or priority. And in verse one, you see, it says that things, things, these things must shortly come to pass. And then down in verse three, it concludes with, for the time is at hand. Well, when you see those words, matter of fact, that the word shortly there, it, uh, the Greek word there means imminent. That is, it certainly will happen. It's, it's not measuring time in terms of distance It's measuring definiteness, the definite occurrence of this, that it's imminent, that it's definitely going to happen, that it's the, that it could happen at any time. It's not regarding the intervention or time or the time in between. There could be five minutes in between or five centuries in between it's, it's, or five millennial in between it, it, that word there shortly to come. And the same thing with the word, uh, the time is at hand, uh, is is referring to that it is next it could come at any time it is definitely going to come it's a part of it's a part of god's economy that uh, i actually i looked up the greek word is it's it's test t-a-c-h-e-f in the in strong's dictionary and it says that soon or shortly those words mean that the word is coming for sure it is firm it will occur it's it will really happen, but it's timing is unknown. So I, I I wanted to point that out because some will say, well, it says soon. Why hasn't it come yet? Why hasn't it said the time is, is near? Well, the Greek word there for time is near. That word time is Kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. And what that means is that it's the opportunity. It's the opportunity is at hand. That is, it could happen at any moment moment without any other intervening acts. It's not like the second coming which things have to occur before Christ's second coming. nothing has to occur before the rapture. nothing has to occur before what we read in first Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4. those events, those events, the Lord's coming in the air, what we call the rapture, that snatching away that could occur at any moment. Any day, any hour, any minute, those events are imminent. They are are soon to come, and they must come. That's the key in those words. They're not measuring time. They're, they're, They're measuring imminence, that these events will come imminently. What a blessing. What a blessing to know that. And I think it's important that we realize that all of these events in chapters one, chapters two and three could be considered current events and historical events. We're talking about things that are within John's purview right then. He was writing about what has happened and he was writing about what is happening. And there is relevance to that for us today, right now. Right this, right at this moment. So let me just, there's more I, I would like to say, but I, but I won't cause I, I probably have been, been long enough, but I, I do want to say that I want you to understand before I give the Monday morning moment, why I think this book is so important and, and why I pray that you are, um, inspired to want to study and grow and read because. The enemy would try to distract us. The enemy would try to misdirect us so that we can't receive God's best. I I have a book downstairs written by a guy named Tom sign. And it says why it's, it's talking about God's word. It says, why settle for less when you can have God's best. And I, I totally agree with that. There is so much God wants us to have. We don't need to live like paupers when God has made us princes, We don't need to live like we don't have any hope when God has given us all hope. We don't have to live like we're poor when God makes us rich through his blessings in Christ Jesus, as it says in Ephesians. So, so we have these blessings. Don't be distracted. Don't let the enemy get you caught up into the day to days of January, 2022. Don't let social media and social causes and issues and life and work and ambitions and, and money and time distract you from God's best. The enemy wants to do that. He wants to distract us. He wants to keep us detained and, and, and keep us occupied away from what God would want us to have. Please don't let it happen. Please don't let it happen. John, John, who also wrote the first epistle of John says don't love the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, he says that the love of the father, God, the father is not in him. We can't serve two masters. We can't serve God and mammon. We can't be a part of the world and part of the body of Christ. We have to make a decision. We have to decide. I love what James says in James chapter four, he says, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? If, if, if we're in with the world, if there are our best, best pals and we're, I mentioned this last week in the sermon, if we're trying to emulate them and hang with them and be like them then we're in opposition to God. We're, we're in, we're in competition. We're in, in direct conflict with what God wants us to do. Don't, don't let it happen. Pray, pray, pray the prayer that the psalmist prayed in Psalms 90. It says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Isn't that good? I love that Psalms, chapter 90, verse 14, start your day off, Lord, satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love. that I may rejoice and be glad all of the day. Make God a priority. I I read this amazing article. It was called desperate for distraction. And it was, was, uh, the subtitle was why we're bad at being alone and the whole The whole context of the article was about this book that was written. It's a really good book. You might want to look it up on uh, either Amazon or Christian books. It's called Christianity for modern pagans and Christianity for modern pagans talks about Christians today being distracted and caught up in the worldly climate, caught up in the movements of the world in the causes of the world, in the entertainment of the world in the passions of the world and it dilutes, it dilutes our effectiveness. It dilutes our attention towards God. It dilutes our witness and our testimony, rendering us ineffective, if not useless is what I often say about the devil that he is as revelation 12 and we're going to get to that in weeks to come. He, that he is an accuser of the brethren accusing us before the father day and night. He's trying to destroy our lives and when he can't destroy our lives, he will settle for destroying our testimony. He will try to render us neutralized, ineffective salt. That has no seasoning light that's hidden under a bush. I remember we talked about this in closing over in first Kings 19. I thought about this. When Elijah was in the cave Remember Elijah in that cave memory was running from Jezebel cause she put a hit out on him, said, if I'm alive, if, if you're, if you're alive tomorrow, may what I'm about to do to you happen to me. That's how committed she was in assassinating this man. And so he ran as far as he can go and hid in the cave and God said, dude, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Didn't you just shame 400, 800 prophets maybe? I think it was 400 for sure. Uh, 400 prophets of Baal. Didn't you just shame them and show? Didn't I just demonstrate through you my power, my might? And so the Lord, I'm saying that to, to, to emphasize this point of making sure we're not distracted. That makes sure that we're not distracted by what's going on in the world like God told Elijah not to be distracted by his voice was not in the earthquake. His voice was not in the wind. His, his voice was not in the fire, but his voice was just this still small tone that spoke to him. Elijah, Elijah, what, what are you doing? Come on out of the cave. I got work for you to do. You're being distracted, dude. You're being distracted get Your message is being diluted. You're getting off course. Stick with what got you here. Stick with how you arrived. Stick with what has worked for you up until now. And you that are listening to me this morning, if God has blessed you, stick with how you got over. However, God brought you to this point, however you made it this far, if you've come this far by faith, then you keep on walking by faith. Don't start walking by sight. Now when faith has gotten you to this point, if God has blessed you to get to this point, you keep praising him, you keep serving him, you keep worshiping him, you keep thanking him, you keep glorifying him because he got you to where you are. Don't get distracted. Don't try something different. Don't become, you know, Christianity for modern pagans. Don't become a pagan. Don't try to move to something else when God has brought you thus far. God is still saving. God is still healing. God is still keeping. God is still delivering. God is still bringing back from the dead, literally and physically. God is still bringing people from the brink. God is still rescuing the lost. Don't give up. Don't be deceived by what the world is doing. Don't even be deceived by this pandemic. Don't get caught up in everything that you see going on and everything that you hear in the news. Man may say one thing, but God's voice prevails. I will, I will listen to the Lord as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord, Joshua 24 15. I will listen to him. The Monday morning moment is study the word in small doses, but live it daily and boldly. I'll say it again. Study the word in small doses, but live it daily and live it boldly. Second Timothy um, uh, 215 says, study Three. 315. I'm sorry. I have it right here. 315. <laughs> study to show yourself approved unto God. Not approved unto man, not approved unto people. Then improve them to an institution. Study to show yourself approved unto God. 2 Timothy 3.15 says. A workman. A work person. If you're into proper pronouns or gender related pronouns. A work person. That needed not be ashamed. Ashamed how, Pastor Will? Ashamed before the Father. Ashamed before God. He said, if you, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you before my father. I don't want to be, I don't want the Lord to be ashamed of me. Matter of fact, I want him to be pleased with me. I want him to say what he said to the servants in Matthew 24. Well done. My good and faithful servant. Well done. That's what I want the Lord to say to me. I'm I'm, I'm just saying, that's how I feel. I don't want him to be ashamed of me. Paul said in Romans 1 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of who he is. Don't be ashamed of what God has done for you and who he is to you. And don't make him ashamed of you because you're ashamed of his word. He says, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I gave you the tools, Canon, hermeneutics, exegesis. Fancy terms that just simply means let the word explain the word, let the word teach the word, let the word be the best arbiter of the word. I think I mentioned it last week that there are 200 there's 404 verses in the King James version and the book of revelation, 404 verses and 70% of those verses. That's 278 of them. Yeah. 278 out of 404 refer to, refer to the Old Testament. So we need to know the word. Don't worry about trying to learn or memorize major books or major chapters. Just as the Monday morning moment says, study and grow in small doses. But live it daily and live it boldly. That's what the Lord, I believe, is looking for. Amen? That's what I believe he's looking for. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this day. May your word change us. May it minister to us. May it make us like you, made into your image, made into your likeness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.